The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It does not constitute legal or other professional advice. No one connected with this podcast can be responsible for your use of the information discussed. The views expressed are those of the podcaster and do not represent the opinions of any other person or entity. These views are subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Welcome to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing, a podcast blending the demands of the book with the rulings from the bench through the lens of the bag. Police officers with a solid understanding of the law and their legal powers are more confident, competent, and effective. Each and every episode will examine a legal issue in policing by reviewing current Canadian criminal case law from coast to coast to coast. Be prepared to uncover a legal lesson that will improve your decision making. Now let's leap in. Hello everyone. My name is Mike Novakowski, your podcast host, and you are listening to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing. I had a good day yesterday. Went for a hike last night up the Abbey Grind under a full moon. The trailhead is right near the Abbotsford Fish and Game Club. When I arrived, there were some gun range enthusiasts firing off some rounds at metal targets. It sounded like a bullet xylophone. Each time a round struck the metal, it was a different tone. It was music to my ears. It brought back some fond memories and reminded me of my time on ERT and the shooting exercises we used to do to improve accuracy. Now on with today's topic. Every once in a while, okay, more than once in a while, you see a case where the facts and the defense strategy is so bizarre, you just can't make it up. The case cited as R.V. Maftoun, with its two rulings, 2021 ONCJ 583 and 2022 ONCJ 518, was one such matter that just rubbed me the wrong way. Before I get into the facts, I need to caution you that this case contains sexually explicit content. The charges are serious but the circumstances may be hard to hear and disturbing for some listeners. So you've been warned. It was a hot summer day afternoon in July when a man in his 30s went to a city-run outdoor swimming pool in Toronto. The pool was the shallowest pool in the area, and it attracted parents who would bring their young children to enjoy the facility. On this day, there were about 40 to 50 people at the pool, including kids. The man, subsequently identified as Mohammed Maftoun, was alone, and he entered the pool wearing only grey underwear. Near the end of the day, the head lifeguard was alerted that Maftoun had an erection while he was in the shallow end of the pool where smaller children were present. When the lifeguard walked over to that area, Maftoun stared at her from the pool. The lifeguard saw Maftoun's hands enter his grey underpants, and he started masturbating. The lifeguard blew her whistle to get everyone out of the pool. She then observed Maftoun on the deck. He took down his underwear and started masturbating where families could see him. Another lifeguard described Maftoun walking around the deck area with his hand on his penis, inside his underwear, and his hand was moving up and down. A parent at the pool said he saw Maftoun take off his shorts, top, and sandals, put his keys in his sandals, and enter the pool in his grey boxers. He said Maftoun had his hand down his boxers and was jerking off and playing with himself. All the while, the parent's 10-year-old was in the pool very close by. Another parent testified she saw Maftoun get into the pool, walk towards her, stare, and play with himself. She also saw him speak to a young girl, about 10 years old, while his hand was in his shorts masturbating and while there were many children at the pool. This parent said that when Maftoon got out of the pool and went along the back of the pool deck, he had his penis out and was playing with it. She described Maftoon as jerking it off all over the deck. When a patron yelled at him, Maftoon got dressed and went to his car in the parking lot. The lifeguard then called 911 and saw Maftoon repark his car closer to the pool deck, turn the engine off and move into the back seat. The lifeguard could see the outline of Maftoon taking off his clothes. One of the parent witnesses saw Maftoon get into his car, take off his shirt in the back seat, and believe he was masturbating again. Another parent saw Maftoon get dressed, go to his car, reverse it from a parking spot, 
and move it closer to the pool. Maftoun then got into the back seat of his vehicle and undressed. Two Toronto police officers responded to the 911 call and located the suspect's vehicle. It was a black four-door Toyota Corolla. The vehicle's side windows were tinted and its sunroof was fully open. The officer pulled directly in front of the vehicle and through the front windshield saw a naked male in the back seat of the car. The officer testified Maftoun was playing with his genitals with his right hand. The second officer described Maftoun as lying down in the back seat, fully nude, stroking his penis. The car was about 10 feet from the chain-linked fence that surrounded the pool where children were present. One of the officers told Maftoun he was under arrest for indecent exposure. Maftoun was directed to put on his underwear, unlock the door, and get out of the car. In response, Maftoun eventually put on a pair of black underwear, unlocked the vehicle door, and got out. He was uncooperative with the officers upon arrest and actively resisted their attempts to handcuff him. He tried pulling away, but the officers were able to handcuff him behind his back and lodge him in the rear of the police car. Given his state of dress at the time, the police did not pat him down because they were satisfied a visual inspection was sufficient to determine that he did not have any weapons on his person. In Toronto, a pat-down search is known as a Level 1 search, a search for weapons, usually conducted upon an individual's arrest and is limited to the exterior padding of clothing such as pockets, waistbands, or areas that may reasonably conceal items such as weapons. The officers then retrieved the remainder of Maftoon's clothing from his car and brought it with them to the police station. Maftoon was taken before the booking sergeant, then placed in an interview room where his clothing was searched. This type of search was referred to as a level 2 search. It involves a frisk search, which is a more thorough search than a level 1 search and generally entails searching the insides of pockets. Maftoon's active resistance at the time of his arrest and Toronto Police policy prompted the level 2 search. Maftoon's handcuffs were removed while police searched his clothes. Each article of clothing was searched for 1. Weapons to ensure there were no means by which Maftoon could harm himself or others. 2. Evidence. And 3. A means of escape. Once the articles of clothing were searched and cleared, they were given back to Maftoon. Maftoon himself was never searched because he was wearing only underwear. It was apparent to the officers he was not concealing any weapons. Maftoon was charged with Section 173 Sub 1 of the Criminal Code, committing an indecent act in a public place, and with Section 173 Sub 2 of the Criminal Code, exposing his genital organs for a sexual purpose to a person under the age of 16. So when this went to court, Maftoon's first argument was that there was no evidence that he intentionally exposed his genitals for a sexual purpose to the child specifically identified in the charge. The Crown, of course, disagreed, claiming the testimony of the parents who saw Maftoon expose his penis and masturbate on the pool deck in the presence of their child was enough to sustain a conviction. Now, the section at issue was Section 173, Sub 2 of the Criminal Code. It reads, quote, Every person who is in any place for a sexual purpose exposed his or her genital organs to a person who is under the age of 16 years is guilty of an offense, end quote. Maftoon did not deny that his penis was exposed or that he masturbated at a busy pool in the presence of children. Instead, he argued that there was no evidence he did this for a sexual purpose or that the child identified in the information even saw him expose himself. Remember though, four civilian witnesses testified they saw Maftoon expose his penis and masturbate, and two police officers who arrived to investigate saw Maftoon masturbating while fully naked in the back seat of his vehicle, which was parked within 10 feet of the pool's fence. So do you think Maftoon's legal argument that there was no evidence of a sexual purpose got him off? Well, it didn't. Here's what the judge said, quote, In this case, the evidence is overwhelming. Mr. Maftoon pulled down his gray underwear, exposed his penis, and masturbated on the deck of the busy public pool in the presence of children. His intention and his sexual purpose were abundantly clear. 
End quote. After all, both parents testified their young child was present, observed Maftoon's conduct, and spoke to them about it later. And witnesses testified they saw Maftoon expose himself and masturbate while walking on the deck of the busy, family-friendly outdoor swimming pool. The judge found, quote, Maftoon demonstrated a clear and unequivocal intention to expose his genitals for the sexual purpose of masturbating in the presence of children under the age of 16, end quote. And he specifically did so to one of the many children present. Strike one. Since Maftoon's legal argument didn't rise to the challenge, he was found guilty of two offenses. Number one, indecent act in a public place. And number two, exposing his genitals for a sexual purpose to a person under the age of 16. Now, you might think that was the end of the matter, but it wasn't. Things just started to get interesting and, in my view, a bit more comical. After conviction, Maftoon filed an application to the court alleging his charter rights had been violated by the police. Yes, you heard me correctly. The police somehow breached his charter rights. And Maftoon wanted a remedy. He wanted any sentence imposed to be reduced because of the police misconduct in this case. So here's the skinny on this argument. His lawyer claimed the police breached his charter rights under Section 7, that's the right to life, liberty, and security of the person, and Section 8, unreasonable search. Of course, any claim of a charter breach requires a solid foundation, but Maftoun himself did not testify on his charter motion, so he could only rely on the evidence of others, like the police. Now let's break these police misconduct allegations down and examine how it could be that the police somehow breached Maftoun's charter rights. So starting with Section 8, Unreasonable Search. Maftoon first alleged that he had been strip-searched. Remember, a strip-search was defined by the Supreme Court of Canada in R.V. Golden as including the removal or rearrangement of some or all of the clothing of a person so as to permit a visual inspection of a person's private areas or undergarments. And Maftoon was only permitted to put his underwear on when arrested so the police could see him wearing it. Was this a strip-search? Of course not. The police never removed or rearranged anything. They found Maftoon butt-naked masturbating in his car in a public parking lot. The police weren't responsible for how he was dressed. In fact, it was the police who directed him to cover himself up before he got out of the car. He could have put on any number of clothing items that were available to him. The defense eventually saw the light, conceded there had been no strip search, and withdrew the challenge on this basis. But Maftoon still didn't give up. He argued his rights under Section 7 and Section 8 were breached because the police should have ensured he was fully dressed when he was arrested and taken to the police station. He claimed he was pulled from his vehicle after being allowed to put on only his boxer shorts. And he wasn't wearing any other clothing or footwear. He was handcuffed behind his back, put in a police cruiser, and transported to the station. Then he was taken before a sergeant and placed in a room where he was subjected to a Level 2 search. Each item of clothing was searched before it was provided to him all while he was only clad in his underwear. And he was not given his clothes or sandals until 58 minutes after his arrest. This process he submitted, although not a strip search, nevertheless humiliated him. Since the process was conducted in an unreasonable manner, his Section 7 and Section 8 rights were violated. The Crown, on the other hand, suggested the police did nothing wrong. Maftoon's state of dress at the time his clothing was searched had been of his own choosing. After all, he was the one who put on only his underwear after being caught red-handed masturbating in the back seat of his car. So what did the judge rule on these claims? Well, she started out by acknowledging there had been no strip search. As for the police examination of Maftoon's clothes before they were given to him, it was a search, 
Not a strip search, but a search nonetheless. And since this search was warrantless, it was presumptively unreasonable. But it was authorized as a search incident to arrest. Here is how the judge put it. And as I read this to you, note that the judge refers to Maftoon as the applicant since he is the one making the charter motion. Quote, The officers searched the applicant's clothes as soon as they were able, after transporting him to the police station and parading him. To have searched his clothing while the applicant stood handcuffed outside his vehicle in public, or while he sat in the back of the cruiser, would have been untenable in terms of appropriateness and delay. The applicant struggled when he was arrested. Though easily and quickly subdued, nonetheless his physical resistance demonstrated his ability and willingness to be violent. This provided a basis for the officers to have safety concerns and a reasonable basis to search his clothing for items that could cause harm prior to providing him with those items of clothing. Further, the applicant was in police custody at a police station. Had the police provided the applicant unsearched clothing they had obtained from his vehicle without a level 2 search of that property, they would have been in gross dereliction of their duties. The police are responsible for the safety of everyone in their custody and ensuring the property they provided the applicant contained no weapons or evidence was one of their duties. End quote. So the level 2 search of the clothing was justified. But what about its manner of execution? Was it conducted in an abusive fashion? After all, Maftoun was standing only in his underwear. Wouldn't this be humiliating? Well, this argument didn't stand up to scrutiny either. And again, I quote the judge. The applicant was in his underwear because that is what he chose to put on before he exited the backseat of his vehicle to engage with police officers. He could have decided to put on a shirt, shorts, sandals, or any combination thereof. He had access to those items inside his vehicle. He had locked himself inside his own vehicle. The officers could no more prevent the applicant from exiting the vehicle nude than they could force the applicant to exit the vehicle fully dressed. The officer's presence and instruction to get out of the vehicle communicated he was going to be interacting with them. The applicant made the decision on what he would wear during that interaction. It could be said that when the officers went into the applicant's vehicle to obtain additional clothing to provide him as soon as they were able was a demonstration of their respect for his dignity in the face of his choice to prefer being in his underwear. From the time of the applicant's arrest at about 6.11 p.m. to the time he received his clothing at 7.12 p.m., he was transported, paraded, and his clothes were searched. There is no evidence of delay, excessive or gratuitous force, or contact of any kind. The search of his clothes was as minimally invasive as it could be in the circumstances. End quote. There were no charter breaches and therefore no remedy required to reduce his sentence. Strike two. But Maftoun still didn't give up. On sentencing, his lawyer suggested that even without a charter breach, the fact Maftoun was in his underwear for an hour after his arrest was a demeaning experience and therefore should be considered a mitigating factor. Under Section 718.2 of the Criminal Code, a court will reduce or increase a sentence by taking into account any relevant aggravating or mitigating circumstances relating to the offense or the offender. Mitigating circumstances may warrant the imposition of a sentence that falls below what normally would be imposed while aggravating factors may warrant the increase of a sentence. But the judge did not consider Maftoun's attire during his arrest as a mitigating factor. Remember, what he chose to wear at the time of his arrest is a decision that he made. He chose to only put on his boxers. Strike three. So what punishment did the judge impose? Did the judge go hard on him? Did the circumstances at play mandate a stiff sentence? Or did the facts qualify for leniency and warrant a softer penalty? 
Well, Maftoun's sentence did include jail time, a whole 90 days of it, and a two-year probation order. So there you have it. The case came to a successful completion for the Crown. Maftoun was convicted and sentenced. There was no police misconduct. But I've thought long and hard about this case and the accused's efforts to pervert the facts in his favor. One of the many things that stood out to me was Maftoun's duplicitous argument about humiliation. Let me get this straight. In the one hand, he was willing to pull out and stroke his penis in a public pool area in the presence of 40 to 50 people, including children. But somehow, on the other hand, it was standing dressed in his underwear in front of a couple of grown men in private as they searched through his clothes for weapons before returning them that caused him humiliation? This doesn't really satisfy logic, nor did it satisfy the judge. Maftoun's own actions proved there wasn't really much that could embarrass him. As the judge noted, the arresting officers respected his dignity. They did not disregard it. Now, court can be a very serious affair, and judges do entertain ridiculous arguments, but that doesn't mean we can't be entertained by the facts and legal arguments of a case. And every once in a while, I think we need to bring some levity to a situation. Otherwise, we might become hardened in our attitude. Sometimes we just need to soften the mood. And I tried to do that with this case. I threw in a few puns. Maybe some stood out to you. Maybe not. Making light of a serious, disturbing, or taboo subject. Having a sense of humor, even dark or gallows humor, is a coping mechanism utilized by many cops. And playing on words can be a type of lighthearted humor. Having served as a cop for more than 30 years, I can't begin to reflect on all the death, despair, and destruction I've seen. People doing unthinkable and unspeakable things to other people. I know many of you have had similar experiences. You've seen things that no one should see. Unlike a sterile courtroom setting, you see things in full, high definition. You see the tears, the bruises, the blood. You feel the pain of others. Finding something funny in about almost anything, regardless of how serious the circumstances, might help take the edge off the vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue you may experience. It often helped me in my career. One more parting thought before I conclude the podcast. I have to say that I'm so grateful there are people like you who are willing to hit the streets, take it upon themselves to mind other people's business, run towards the danger, not away from it, and make those gut-wrenching decisions that could change your life and the lives of others forever. We owe you a debt we cannot pay. Thank you for all you do. If you think this podcast would interest others, please share it. And if you have a topic you would like discussed in a future episode, you can email me at legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. That's legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. Or maybe you feel like providing me with some feedback. Either way, I would love to hear from you. And remember, be careful what you practice. You might get good at it. Be smart and stay safe.